spokesperson for all of Islam, Anjem Chowdhury. Welcome to the Herd Mentality. Thanks for your time. Well, let me just say that uh, there's no proof at the moment that Al-Qaeda is behind this particular episode. Well, that's a relief. I don't want to discuss anything apart from my views today. That's fine, I understand. No, I don't want to talk about uh, my views today. I think they're irrelevant. Your views are irrelevant? Well, I think that you should answer the question. What question? I'll give you one more opportunity, and then I'll leave the interview. No, 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 no. I, I don't get what you mean. Have I offended you somehow? So if you ask me another question, then we can stop the interview. All right. Let's discuss blasphemy and people in prison for speaking out against dictatorships. Are there heroes in your eyes? In fact, yes, they are. But the Sharia, and obviously Allah knows what's better for all of us, and the Sharia will be implemented. I understand that's what you believe, but it's not really the basis for a civilized society. The whole world would one day be under the authority of the Muslims. A terrifying prospect. You may like the, the corruption of man-made law. I like the fact that laws can change to better suit societies and improve the lives of the people they protect. You have no choice but to live under the Sharia one day in Australia. Why do you assert that? As much as it will in America and in Moscow and in all parts of the world. So, a weak argument to authority? Of course, I'm certain about it. Hmm... Let's briefly discuss evangelical preacher Ray Comfort. I believe that uh, he is a good Muslim. Okay, is he? Uh, very keen to attend demonstrations, uh, processions, etc. Very keen to study about Islam. Glad we cleared that up. Apparently he's not happy that I've been photoshopping his head onto the body of Kim Jong-un. There are a lot of lies spread in the media, a lot of fabricated uh, photographs. Hmm, I'd just like to test your response to a hypothetical blasphemous statement. They may not be happy. Allah doesn't exist, and the idea of marrying young girls sickens me. Would you agree? Absolutely. You would? Yes. It seems like you're a changed man. Let's just test this hypothesis with a little word game. The testicles of all non-believers. You know, these are medallions for me, which I will wear very proudly on the Day of Judgment. Hmm. I thought as much. Anjem Chowdhury, thanks for coming on the show. I believe that the flag of Islam will fly over the building, the parliament building in Australia. One, two, three. One, two, three. Four, five. Welcome to The Herd Mentality, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection and, God willing, entertain you with some scintillating repartee. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, found on Twitter, Facebook and Google+, and it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Herd Mentality. With me down the line, a gentleman who is Australian and an author, Michael Sherlock. Welcome. Thanks very much for having me on, Adam. It's a pleasure. Now, very quickly, before we go and meet the other guests, we had a topic previously on an, an episode. I made a small mistake regarding how belief is intertwined with the ego in the brain. Could you clarify very briefly in a couple of sentences? Yeah, sure. With regards to belief, what I was referring to on your show last time was that belief is essentially maintained in the ventromedial prefrontal cortex and the anterior cingulate cortex of the brain. And these are the regions of the brain that also govern our emotions. And so that essentially our beliefs are intertwined neurologically with our emotions. And that was the point I was making. Where you might have got turned around is that I also I spoke about the ego and how the ego is the place psychologically in the psyche, in the mind, where we hold our beliefs or our worldview, and that our defense mechanisms of the ego can come in and distort reality for us to essentially protect our beliefs, protect our worldview. And this is how a lot of religious beliefs are maintained despite strong evidence to the contrary or against those beliefs. And so I think those two areas, the neurological area and the psychological area, uh, were slightly conflated in the last statement you made. But yeah, no, you're essentially on track. Fantastic. Well, I'll listen back to that four or five 
five times and make sure <laughs> I'm clear on it next time I open my mouth. And also from Finland, I've got Sanal Idemaraku. Have I got yeah. that right? Yeah, I don't know. Welcome. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you're currently in Finland. Could you give me a little bit of background there, perhaps, as to what prompted this move? Yeah, in a country like India, which is officially a secular country, the situations uh, in, in reality are much more different. I mean, especially when uh, we have been building up a big movement in India for last, uh, I mean, half a century now. There are straight onslaughts against the rationalist or atheist movement in India by using some old laws now. And a lot of people are being harassed with these old laws. I mean, purely a blasphemy law, but it's not very powerful law, but uh, you get only three years imprisonment, but the laws are crafted in such a way that it's not the judiciary, but a police officer would decide whether you could be arrested without an arrest warrant and kept in prison. Mm. So this law was against uh, used against me when I exposed a Catholic miracle where a statue was leaking some water. I found that it was from a toilet and uh, explained it uh, scientifically on a television program wherein five people from the church defended it and well they could not defend their miracle and they went with this law and not only the law they wanted to attack me uh, they wanted to abduct me there is a physical attack and the law completely supported all these efforts and the moment it's matter of faith there are a lot of extraordinary large web is made which is much beyond the actual law so i had to practically flee the country to save my life and freedom it's a little bit backwards, isn't it, in that they made a claim, you disproved it very quickly, and all of a sudden you're guilty. What happened was, you know, the, the miracle was attracting a lot of people. Around a thousand people have been visiting this place. And first, I explained in a television program that I need not go and, and explain it. You should yourself verify what exactly is behind it. That's the common way of doing it. Mm. So they insisted that it's a miracle. You know, they put the argument on the other side. Without an empirical evidence, why do you speak that it's not a miracle? I said, okay, I, I would like to come if you permit. They permitted me to go there. I found exactly what was it. Because there was a leakage I found and there's a crack of the pipe I found. There was capillary action and water was going through the wall. I could see it. everything I photographed, recorded. Then I went back with the whole documents and later in the evening, I've explained it in a television program. The church wanted their representatives to defend the miracle. They got five people to defend it. And I was all alone. And it's a quite imbalanced structure that five people defending the miracle for some time. And then the bishop himself wants to argue for the other side. So then he disowned the miracle. But uh, the moment uh, he disowned it or, or said that it could not be a miracle, they already announced that I mean they are going to punish me for whatever I said. Mm. Already on the live television program, they said it. It looked like a simple joke only at that time because you know I have been in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of television programs using harsh language to expose all kinds of fraud states. Now things have changed that, I mean, one could simply take this law out and beat down anybody. That's the danger of these kind of laws, you know. I agree. So now we'll come back and touch upon that, but I'd like to meet another couple of our guests, if we could quickly. We've got at Acharya S. So Acharya, welcome. Hi there. Yes, my that's my pen name. My real name is DM Murdoch. I also go by that. Very nice to well. be here amongst this august group. <laughs> I think there's a lot of hell foreseen for all of us. <laughs> Depends so, <laughs> on their definition of hell. <laughs> well, yes, it's uh, certainly tricky to define. So, Acharya, <laughs> what works have you put out there in the public? Well, I'm a scholar of comparative religion and mythology, and I traced religious ideas, many of them within our current religions, such as Christianity, Judaism, Islam, 
Hinduism, Buddhism. I trace these ideas back thousands of years, as far back as we have in the archaeological record, historical record. And that often reveals that they are mythical ideas. They have to do with mythology, not, you know, history. I constantly run afoul of believers in multiple religions <laughs> who don't <laughs> who don't like my rational, logical and scientific analysis of their belief systems. Mm, facts are uh, challenging. But one one quick yeah. question I've got for you. Of all the work you've done, how many virgin births have you encountered? <laughs> this is a very you mean in real life or as a mythical <laughs> motif? <laughs> let's let's go with the fables. Yes. Well, you can trace this story back at least 3,000 years. So that's 1,000 years before it was assigned to Christ. But even more in Egyptian mythology, and that would be in the Middle East among the Canaanites, Egyptian mythology, it's traceable back. Some, um, I think it was an anthropologist, has decided that it was about 7,000 years ago that we can trace this back. It probably goes back even further. Hmm. It has to do with the creation of the universe from a divine being without any consort. So a self-creating universe is you know, virginal. Hmm. And it had to do also with the perception originally that it was since it's women who give birth, therefore this divine being was female. Hmm. So the virgin birth, it, it's terrifying. It almost predates beer. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or wine, yeah. Maybe they were drunk or whatever when they came up with it. And finally tonight, from the Republic of Ireland, we've got Michael Nugent. Michael, welcome. Welcome. Thank, thank you very much for inviting me. You're the chairperson of Atheist Ireland. Yes, we, we campaign both for atheism and reason and also in a political sense for an ethical secular state. And we do that both within Ireland and internationally at, at the United Nations and various international human rights regulatory bodies. And unfortunately, in terms of Ireland's contribution to blasphemy laws, we passed a new blasphemy law in 2010, which is uh, the only Western democracy to pass a new blasphemy law in the 21st century, which has been used at the United Nations by the Islamic states to bolster their arguments for spreading defamation of religion laws and blasphemy laws internationally. So we're unfortunately right in the thick of, the, of, of this battle for, for a reason that, that we really shouldn't be, that Ireland is exacerbating the problem internationally and moving the, the issue from being merely in the context of Western democracies, what should be a silly issue, into quite a dangerous issue. Mm. So in Ireland, for the Irish listeners out there, what should they not do to get a blasphemy charge against them? Well, it's a difficult law because laws phrase so ambiguously, it, it's that you can't do or say anything that is grossly offensive or abusive in relation to matters held sacred by any religion, thus causing outrage among a substantial number of members of that religion. So it's it's so vague that, you know, who knows how it could be interpreted. The government has kind of backed down politically in a way, and there has been a change of government since it was passed, and the current government says that it is unlikely to be implemented, and uh, we have contributed to a constitutional convention in Ireland that is recommending the removal of that law. But the danger is when you have a law of that type on the books, you never know when somebody's going to decide that their conscience is telling them that they have to implement it. We had a situation with, with an abortion law in Ireland yes. that, that, that everybody assumed would not be implemented and was was implemented to um, prevent a, a raped teenager from leaving the country. So the difficulty with theological laws is you never know, even if they seem unlikely to be implemented, when they are going to be. It seems to be the sort of law that can be deployed by somebody who has strong feelings on a subject, not strong facts. 
That's the danger. And it's the mix that blasphemy laws have is that they're a combination of being absurdly silly on the one hand and really dangerous on the other hand. And the danger of blasphemy laws in the Western states is mostly the impact that they have on the attempts by the Islamic states at the United Nations to make blasphemy and defamation of religion and defamation of Islam a crime internationally. The Islamic states led by Pakistan started to use the wording of the Irish blasphemy law after we passed mm. it as what they did passed internationally. And you kind of know you're doing something wrong when Pakistan is citing you for oh. be- as best practice for, for blasphemy laws. Oh, wow, wow. Mm. I read in the paper very recently that Germany's government just said, geez, France's new government seems a bit right-wing. You know, they've uh, nailed it when it's the Germans pointing the fingers. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. This speaks to the uh, phrases used to disguise blasphemy legislation, such as religious insults and hate speech. So there's hate speech legislation all over the place now, you know, in Germany as well, and Finland. So you could still run afoul in Finland and all. Well, we're going over to uh, Geneva in, in July. Ireland is up before the United Nations under the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights for its overseeing its, its record in implementing that treaty. And one of the issues that Atheist Ireland is going to be raising and asking the, the UN committee to ask the Irish delegation is, of course, our blasphemy law. Good. Michael Sherlock, back to you. Why are we here? Well, I started an organization a few months ago called um, Human Rights for Atheists, Agnostics and Secularists. And uh, I've had quite a bit of help with that organization from Machari AS and um, uh, recently from Michael Nugent, who's helped us refine the petition letter. We've written a petition to the United Nations Human Rights Council mm. or the Officer of Human Rights, sorry. You had quite a bit of support mm. with that. You've had some very big names sign up for it. We did. We structured the petition so that we could aim for a very ambitious goal, and that is to have the UN amend articles of the Charter of the United Nations, that is 1.3 or Article 1, subparagraph 3, Article 13, subparagraph 1B, Article 55, subparagraph C, and 76, subparagraph C of the Charter to include the non-religious as a specifically protected group and in so protecting, bind all member states to essentially make it very difficult for them to enact or at least enforce blasphemy laws because that group who is non-religious would have the right to express themselves according to the definition laid out in the ICC. We also petitioned the UN to amend the ICCPR, that is the International Covenant on Civil, Civil and Political Rights, so that they could reduce the restrictions that are placed on freedom of expression, which exist within that document. And that document is essentially a voluntary document. And member states don't need to sign that document. Saudi Arabia hasn't signed it, I don't think. And this document isn't essentially enforceable. It's more, it's not a binding document essentially in nature. It's more definitive in nature. So it sets out the definition and the charter is what binds the member states. And so we want to attack the charter and we want to get that amended. That's a very ambitious goal. I mean, that's a very, very ambitious goal. Mm. However, if we can make enough noise, and that's the idea of my organization is to make enough noise, we can start to get more and more people aware of this issue. For example, I've been speaking with uh, Raif Badawi's wife, who desperately wants her husband to come home, but looks like he's going to be in prison for about 10 years. It's situations like this around the world, like uh, Asiya Bibi and others in Pakistan, essentially. It breaks my heart, and I can't sit there anymore. I mean, I'm an atheist author. 
author, I write books, but what good is that if this insanity continues? So I thought, well, I'm going to put my writing projects on hold and I'm going to attack this law. I'm going to attack it with everything I have. And to this date, I've got Ricky Gervais, I've got Dr. Richard Dawkins, I've got Dr. Sam Harris, Dr. PZ Myers, I've got Acharya S, I've got uh, Michael Nugent from Atheist Island, Sanal, who's a great ally as well. I mean, I'm building a very strong army here against this terrible law and I will keep building this army and I will make as much noise as I need to. There's a lot of people in the world who sit in countries that don't have active blasphemy laws. Perhaps they have them passively in their in their legal codes that sit there as kind of benign tumors. But I, I recommend that the legal authorities take them out as a doctor would be wise to take out a benign tumor from a human being because they can become active, they can become malign. Michael, you've seen my article on the blasphemy laws around the world, and yeah. people would be very surprised that it's not just Afghanistan, Egypt, Iran, Kuwait, Malaysia, Maldives, exactly. all these places, yeah. Pakistan. Those have possible capital punishment associated with atheism, mm. rejection of Islam, but you can also get prison time. These laws are still on the books in Austria, Denmark, Finland, Greece, Israel, Italy, Liechtenstein, the Netherlands, United Kingdom. New Zealand also punishes blasphemous libel. In Ireland, of course, we know from Mr. Nugent, too aware of that. But Canada, there's also this category of religious insults and hate speech. And that's Mm -hmm. what they're going to try to use in places like the United States, which has the First Amendment protection for freedom of speech and expression. Uh, They're trying to get us with religious insults and hate speech. So there are laws on the books in places like Canada, Croatia, Denmark, again, Spain, Finland, Germany, Iceland, India. Indonesia, Italy, Lithuania, uh, let's see, what else? Norway, <laughs> Netherlands, Philippines, Poland, Russian Federation, Slovakia, South Africa, Switzerland, and the Ukraine. All of these supposedly more westernized and, and less religious, mm. more secular places, they all have religious insults and hate speech laws that can be used in the same manner. Of those countries you yeah. mentioned, I can tell you that I've got listeners in almost all of them. And yeah. this is your call to action, guys. So let me throw the question to you, Sanal. Why yeah. is all of this important? Yeah, see, the, the, the primary thing what I feel, for example, is there are dormant laws, for example, in many of the European countries, including Scandinavian countries, though it's one of the best political climates or, or free climate that we have here, there are still laws here. Even in, in Finland, there is a blasphemy law. In Sweden, there is a blasphemy law. These laws are in dormant, but any moment with a change of government or a change of political climate, this can be reactivated. My good example is India. You know, we have a wonderful political climate where secularism was celebrated. And suddenly, a dormant law is simply taken up and dusted out. And I mean, it's used. Therefore, these dormant laws have to go. It's very important. And also, we have to make it very, very clear that the right to offend. And I would like to make it very clear. Any kind of civilized society need to approve the right to offend. Some 400 years back, we cannot criticize a king or the political system. There is a right that should be available for everybody, protected by law, that there is a right to make jokes, to criticize, including any kind of belief, faith, worship or anything. Michael Nugent, where do we draw the line between, say, slander and criticizing somebody for their beliefs? Well, I think the distinction is that people have rights, but beliefs don't have rights. 
So we should be perfectly entitled to criticise very robustly any beliefs that people have. We should be entitled to criticise the content of their beliefs. While respecting their right to hold the belief, we, we should be entitled to criticise the content of the belief as robustly as we wish, including using ridicule if we so wish. Where I think I draw the line is if you infringe on the rights that people normally have in ordinary discourse, the right to your good reputation to not be lied about or, def- or, or defamed, and the right to not have physical harm inflicted on you. So so if, the, if there is speech that is inciting people directly to cause violence to people, I think it's reasonable to take steps against that. But I think the bar should be set very high and indeed inter- international law generally does and the United Nations Human Rights Committee certainly sets that bar very high. There's a distinction between blasphemy and incitement to hatred laws in terms of in modern Western democracies, they're typically used almost by default. They have a chilling effect on the self-censorship of some media outlets uh, because the laws exist, but they're generally not implemented in Western societies. They're just there as kind of background noise. But the big problem is in the largely Islamic states where both the laws are implemented to jail or even execute people. And also people are in danger of the abuse to use a strange phrase of, of a law that in itself is already an abuse, but the abuse of blasphemy laws to settle personal scores and disputes by accusing somebody of blasphemy. Mm. We've got examples of this recently. It happens all the time around the world, in fact. Acharya, are you familiar with the case whereby a Christian woman was stoned to death for marrying a Muslim? Also, oh yeah, no, it just that- happened in Pakistan. Her husband had already killed his first wife, who was his, her sister, oh, and he got away with just murdering his first wife and tossing her away. Uh, but in Pakistan, there's a difference that this was not by a law. It was an angry crowd that has been yeah, killing mobs. In Sudan, that's a very different thing, where for marrying a person of a different religion, the lady was given time to correct her belief. And since she refused that thing, now she's, she has delivered a child on chains, and now she would be executed because she refused to change the religion and married somebody for for a different religion. Michael Sherlock, your thoughts? It just really bothers me, and it should bother everyone. Acharya? In comparative religion and mythology, what you learn is that there are certain beliefs people hold in common. There are also beliefs that are opposing. And so one man's belief is another man's blasphemy, so to speak. Absolutely. So I have a video also I've made that addresses this idea of what is religion, first of all, and I consider it to be, in my video, I I define it as a set of ethics. And so in that regard, I have my own religion. You know, you're not praying to God and whatnot, I'm just defining it as morality. And many of these religions that are dominating the world today have ideas that are against my religion, so to speak. In other words, they are blaspheming what I believe, for example, I'm totally against this idea that you can go and seize another human being in the name of religion and do whatever you want, like they're doing in Sudan or that they did to Sanal or any. You cannot do that in my religion. You cannot attack individuals. So they're blaspheming me. Where's my recourse? Well, that's exactly the question I was going to ask. What recourse do you have as a non-believer? Yeah, exactly. Well, we have what we're doing now. We just have to keep fighting back. We can't, we have to establish that there are people who have had beliefs that cannibalism is a holy thing. And so are we supposed to just respect that? And if we criticize that, are we guilty of, of religious insults and blasphemy? It's ridiculous. You can't just have a blanket religion and say, don't insult it. Mm. I mean, they could have all kinds of horrible and evil things associated with it. And we, in fact, <laughs> some of these cults, as I call them, absolutely do have horrible and evil things associated with them. And we're not going to stop criticizing them. Raif Badawi should not be in prison. He's a beautiful human being. He should be mm. celebrated. They're trying to crush 
a flower. I'm in it with Michael uh, Sherlock because it's the right thing to do. Anybody who is protected by that needs to defend it with their life because mm. it is gives us our life. We're in a position to be able to do this without having some thugs coming to our door, whether they're official thugs or just local <laughs> thugs. And so we have to speak for people like Rife and all these other victims of these hideously evil laws. They, the laws are evil, okay? And they go against my religion, so to speak, my set of ethics. They need to be changed. Michael Nugent, what progress is being made? Well, in, in Ireland, the day the blasphemy law was passed, uh, Atheist Ireland published a series of blasphemy statements on our website to challenge the law. We, we also started to uh, combine serious political activism on it with ridiculing the law. We, we started a new religion that worshipped the Justice Minister, Dermot O'Hearn, who brought it in. We called it the Church of Dermatology. And the, <laughs> uh, the, the, the beliefs <laughs> of dermatology uh, include that Dermot O'Hearn created the world out of nothing, that ice cream wafers are literally the body of and like the uh, Mormons, we have magic underpants. So we, we think that it's important to combine serious political activism with pointing out how absurd these laws are in order that they don't gain any sort of traction politically. Now, it's easier to do that in, in Western countries, obviously, than it is in the undemocratic states of the Islamic part of the world. The attempts by the Islamic states at the United Nations over the last decade to make defamation of Islam a crime are starting to be reversed and they're starting to retreat a little bit. They were initially trying to get to prevent criticism of Islam specifically. They're now uh, rolling it back to incitement of, of religious hatred generally, which still isn't acceptable in terms that it should be permissible to hate ideas that you think are bad without hating the people that hold those ideas. So I think there is progress being made, but the difficulty is on the ground, particularly in, in countries like Pakistan, where the most notorious case, which which has already been mentioned here, Asiya Bibi, a Christian woman who's facing execution by hanging for allegedly blaspheming against Muhammad over what was really a dispute with neighbours that, that got out of hand. Two Politicians in Pakistan spoke up for Asiya Bibi and they were both assassinated. Mm -hmm. One assassinated by his own bodyguard. It's such a frustrating issue because you have a combination of extremely silly laws that are at the same time extremely dangerous. So both of those factors have to be tackled at the same time. Atheist Ireland is going over to Geneva in July, where Ireland is being examined by the United Nations Human Rights Committee about our human rights obligations under one of the treaties. We'll certainly be raising it there as well. Before I let you go on that, Michael, could you give me very quickly some ideas you hate? Just give me one or two, any ideas that you hate. Well, I, I hate the idea that people would be treated differently on the basis of their beliefs. I hate the idea that people would be treated differently on the basis of their gender or their sexuality. I will not respect and I will actively disrespect an, any beliefs that infringe on the basic human rights of other beings and, and indeed of, in, in my case, of uh, non-human animals um, because that this my personal philosophy a, a extends that far. How many people can you think of who you hate? I would imagine. I, I don't hate any people. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem that people seem to have. They cannot differentiate between the ideology and the humans that follow it. And that has to be emphasized constantly. When we're criticizing ideas, we're criticizing ideology. We're not attacking human beings. On the contrary, we're criticizing ideas that themselves are abusive of human beings. So we're protecting human beings against ideas. If we're, if we're criticizing an idea, we're not saying every single person who belongs to a particular religion or we're not addressing them by criticizing the ideology that is driving that cult or that religion or that group of people. It's perfectly valid 
for example, in the West to criticize Christianity. It doesn't mean that we're, we're attacking all Christians. Hmm. People constantly do that with Islam. If you criticize Islam, you're attacking all Muslims. No, you're not. In fact, there are hundreds of millions of people in the Muslim-dominant regions of the world who don't want to be Muslim, who want to leave Islam, but because of apostasy laws, they will be subjected to horrible punishment, including possibly death. And so we're actually speaking on behalf of them as well. They want to leave Islam, but they can't. So these are human beings who are being victimized by an ideology. We have to distinguish between those two things. And we'll go to Michael, Michael with Sherlock. The, the liberalist movement at the moment, it has a knee-jerk reaction to criticizing the religion of Islam. You can bash the Bible, you can bash Christianity, but as soon as it comes to Islam, there's this knee-jerk reaction, you racist. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, okay, if you're going to call me a racist for criticizing Islam, then you're a racist for assuming that only one racial group belong to Islam. No, <laughs> what I'm doing is I'm attacking an ideology that is forcing people into submission. Like you say, they can't distinguish between that. They can't, they're unnuanced human beings. Which, you know? which almost brings us back to that very point at the very beginning there, Michael, about how people respond to attacks mm. on their beliefs mm -hmm. because they take it personally. It's emotional. So now? When there is a conflict between facts and feelings, you know, that's the primary issue. If I have facts which can be defended and which can be explained, I mean, I should have a right to speak my facts even if it hurts somebody's feelings. The whole question is so simple that it's my right to speak what I feel right. Michael Nugent. I was going to ask if you had any other thoughts, anything you'd like to finish up on that topic. Well, it's one of the most serious infringements on human rights is mm -hmm. infringements on the right to freedom of expression. It extends and is linked with apostasy laws in terms of freedom of belief, freedom of conscience, equality before the law, freedom from discrimination, the right to private and family life. These are all very basic fundamental human rights that international treaties have gradually refined to move us away from the previous areas of barbarism to a state where we do accept the primacy of, of human rights. So it's really important that we defend those rights because all of the other civil and political rights that we have are built on that foundation. So it's not a trivial matter. It's not a case of, of simply, oh, you know, you, people just want to say things. It, it's the basis upon which our society is built is protecting those fundamental rights upon which other ones are built. So, so I, I think it's really important to campaign to protect those rights in Western democratic states. So that we may lead by example. Exactly. Let's shift along to a point that you touched on there, Michael. Acharya, what are your thoughts on the apostasy situation at the moment? There seems to be a lot of this in the headlines. Yes. In fact, I even saw an article today where I think it's a Muslim person is admitting that the apostasy laws within Islam are a big problem. So I'd like to think that that is part of what we're doing, that blasphemy and apostasy, it's all religious insult. It's We're basically trying to protect people from that as well, from apostasy laws, from blasphemy laws, from uh, any kind of charges of religious insult, hate speech against minorities, religious minorities. Or, uh, and In fact, one of the things I wanted to say to people listening is that you don't have to be an atheist or an agnostic or uh, someone who's not a believer in religion to be involved in our petition and in this movement. My base of support comes from people who are atheists and theists across the spectrum. People enjoy studying religion but not being emotionally tied to it. And so there's a huge amount of people around the world that are called nuns. You know, there's the yeah. N-O-N-E-S. They don't abide by organized religion. 
Some of them are atheists. Some of them are free thinkers. So this is why we added secularists. The term secularist should encompass pretty much anyone, which would include theists who are, are religious minorities who are not abiding by the state religion. It, it protects yeah, so the population at large. Hundreds of millions of people hmm. are at prey, are at risk. To touch on apostasy, the idea of apostasy is basically removing somebody else's right to make a free and fair decision for themselves. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the moment you are not allowed to leave your faith because it's a crime, uh, you're, you're protecting some people's belief by simply stopping them. The most shocking examples are in some countries where apostasy is a legal crime. For example, in Sudan, it's the shocking case there. For example, a person leaving a religion for marriage can be simply executed by, by law. Such laws are exist. The moment apostasy laws are removed, the moment blasphemy laws are removed, and if there's a social climate where people can come out, I, I think there will be an exodus out of most of these organized religions. That's why they are doing all these protection efforts to these laws. Yep, that's right. Can I continue on what Sanal was saying just quickly? Apostasy laws are essentially a no-refunds policy. And the trouble is that young children aren't given the option to buy. They're simply made to purchase the product. And whenever a religion inserts a no-refunds policy into its scriptures, you can be pretty certain that it's not entirely confident of its truths. If you need to force people into submission to believe, then you're not in possession of any grand truth. You're in possession of a of a tyranny, basically, of a tyrannical regime. That's all you're in possession of. Truth doesn't force people to believe. Truth simply is. And apostasy laws are the greatest evidence that your religion is wholly unsubstantiated nonsense. It's interesting that you draw the analogy to selling a religion because I'm not good at very much, but I am good at selling stuff. And the way I view different religions is that the Jehovah's Witnesses aren't coming to sell you a product. They're not really cold selling. They're knocking on enough doors to the point where they'll have somebody who's already bought another product and they're cross-selling you. It's the Amway. It's a pyramid scheme. Religion is a pyramid scheme in in my opinion. In a sense, but as atheists, humanists, secularists... I see it as we need to upsell these people. We need to get them to buy something that they don't necessarily want to buy. It's going to be more expensive for them in the short term, but they're going to save a lot of money and probably their lives over the long term. Yeah. There's one thing I want to say about the case in Sudan. Tony Blair, the the former uh, UK Prime Minister, had described that case as a brutal and sickening distortion of faith. And I think that's a a difficulty that a lot of people of faith have, is they see faith as being uh, either benign or positive, and that these type of things are somehow an aberration from them. Actually, these type of things are the almost inevitable outcome of faith, because what faith does is it corrupts our natural sense of morality, our natural sense of morality, we would recognize that it is wrong to do those type of things. But what faith does is it tells you, regardless of the fact that you know that intuitively that this is contrary to what makes up morality in terms of uh, empathy and compassion and cooperation and reciprocity and fairness and justice, regardless of the fact that you know that you still have to do these barbaric things because somebody wrote something in a book so many hundred years ago. And the Quran specifically has a passage in the book saying that when you are lashing people for adultery, you are not to let your compassion overrule you. The reason that that was there is clearly because they were having that problem that people did realise that it was contrary to their conscience. So what faith does is it's not merely that you don't need faith to be moral. It's that faith actively corrupts your morality. That's beautifully put. Guys, are there any final talking points before you'd like to wind this up? We'll go in order, Michael. 
I'd just like to encourage your listeners to sign our petition and to share it with as many people as possible because a lot of people are actually unaware, and this is the problem, they're either unaware or they're unaware that it's going to affect them in some manner. And many people are apathetic with regards to what doesn't affect them directly. And I want them to become aware that if laws are passed in one country, they can have an impact in many other countries. Hmm. And that we should start seeing each other as members of a human family and not of my people versus their people or they're not my problem or that's not my problem. It's all our problem. Hmm. Our fellow human beings are suffering. Their families are being torn apart. Asia Bibi's got five kids. She's on death row. She's a mother. She hasn't seen her kids since, I think, 2009. There's another case in Pakistan with a woman who was separated from her kids on a fruitless blasphemy charge. She was finally released years after, acquitted, oh, yeah. years after being in prison. And she begged her children to come and give her a kiss, and they said, we don't know you. And she just burst out crying. These are real consequences that people are suffering based on an imagined crime. Now, the logical supposition that blasphemy laws rest on, particularly with regards to the monotheistic religions, is that an omnipotent and omniscient deity can have its little feelings hurt. (laughs) Michael, where is the easiest means of getting our hands on this petition and putting a name to it? You can get us at humanrights4aas.org. HumanRights4AAS.org. That's right, yeah. Okay, and you so can also visit our Facebook page, which is Human Rights for Atheists, Agnostics and Secularists. Okay, I'll put the links for that in the show notes. So let's head over to Sanal. A really quick summary and anything you would like to promote or plug. I would suggest that this petition should reach out to people with, with a clear message that this is not only a question of atheists, agnostics and secularists, but this has to be supported by anybody who is saying, anybody who thinks that our civilization has to go forward, whether their religion is also. We have people who have signed it who are Christian, Catholic, liberal Muslims, some call themselves atheist Muslims, all kinds of people signing this. Anyone who doesn't want to run afoul of these laws. And these laws can affect you even if you live in a country like the United States with its First Amendment protections. Now there's this hate speech legislation. Don't be fooled. These are blasphemy laws. They're just they're trying to get us in any way they can with protection of religion, which, as Michael so perfectly put, is absolutely ridiculous trying to protect an uh, all-powerful God. Anyone can sign this petition, not to mention I've been accused just by talking about facts of how Christianity was created, for example, the origins of Christianity. I've been accused in Africa multiple times of blasphemy for my work. And so you don't know if you may have to travel somewhere and you're already in a database like do I, now do I feel safe going to these places in Africa where people are accusing me of blasphemy because I speak about the scientific origins of Christianity? I am concerned. Should I be concerned about going to an Islamic dominant really region when I've criticized Islam pretty thoroughly? I'm concerned. Where can we find your work? Do you have a website? Yes. I have uh, freethoughtnation.com is where I do my activist work. My scholarly work is at truthbeknown.com. And then I have my books at stellarhousepublishing.com. 
Thank you very much. Michael Nugent, final thoughts and something to promote? I'd like to end on a note of optimism, which is that despite the problems that we're facing and despite how how overwhelming they can seem, that there's a lot of research that suggests that the world is becoming more secular in recent decades, that as individuals move away from survival values and towards self-expression values, which is triggered typically by things like investment in health and education and communications technology and the advances of democracy, that that causes societies to move away from traditional religious values and towards secular rational values. And that pattern is happening at different speeds in different places, with the exception for some reason of Africa, but in most parts of the world, that is the pattern. So we are swimming with the tide of history in campaigning to end these barbaric laws. And I think that ultimately we will win through. So I'd like to thank uh, Michael Sherlock for putting this initiative together. It's a very important initiative. And the more people that get together to support it, the quicker we will reach that aim. In terms of further information about our activities, Atheist Ireland's website is atheist.ie. We have a weekly free email newsletter called Secular Sunday that that you can subscribe to by um, sending an email to secularsunday at atheist.ie. And my own personal website is at michaelnugent.com. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Heard mentalists, hear me. Questionable Adam here from the year 2074 contacting you via Joel Osteen's telepathy prayer helmet, which I stole from his enormous bank vault. In this alternate timeline, Saudi Arabia has clamped down even harder on thinking, effectively outlawing thought of any kind. The entire country is filled with clones of Sarah Palin. Help me rectify the situation now by supporting the show in the past the same way as Andrew, Jeff, and John did this week. But you can help by going to patreon.com slash herdmentality and pledging a small amount per episode, I would be able to step up the fight and prevent Saudi Arabia from ever getting access to Sarah Palin's genetic code. If just 1% of the listeners to the show in 2014 were to contribute a single dollar per episode, I'd be able to earn a respectable living by producing this content. The logs show that every minute that goes to air takes more than an hour to research, edit, produce and publish. 10% of all financial support to the show goes to Kiva.org to help women in developing countries to further their education, just as we did this week with Gaid in Iraq to go and study dentistry. You are helping a good cause. Share the show with a friend and please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. I must run! Joel Osteen's teeth have locked onto my signal. Questionable Adam, signing out. And down the line, I've got Iman. Welcome back, Iman. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's always a pleasure. How are you going? I'm good. (laughs) I'm a lot better, thanks to you guys. Oh, that's... Look, I often get asked. (laughs) I often get asked. It's good news. Now... We've got an episode today specifically about blasphemy laws and human rights. Yes. And I thought I'd get your two cents on this. Raif Badawi. Yes. Talk to me. Raif Badawi is an activist. He was arrested probably a couple of years ago now in Saudi. His main charge, although it has been morphed a few times, the initial charge was speaking up against the religious clerics, the senior religious clerics and criticizing Islam. Mm. Yeah, the charge has been eventually morphed into an apostasy charge. Mm -hmm. So he's been detained basically for two years now. He's been in prison and they keep 
changing the charges they keep adding to his sentence. What does his sentence currently stand at? The last update was on May 28th, where he went to uh, get an update on his final sentence. The hope was for him to be pardoned and released. Irony, you know, being pardoned. Hmm. But he uh, unfortunately was shocked and everyone was shocked that they had increased it. So the initial sentence was 10 years in jail, 1,000 lashes and 1 million Saudi real. Mm -hmm. But they've added to that on May 28th, two more, which are 10-year media ban and a 10-year travel ban. So the likelihood of Rife coming on this show. Probably slim to none. Hmm. What can we say? How can we get his message out? Make a lot of noise. Very well. The Saudi government is under a lot of pressure. Hmm. All, I cannot tell you how I have this information, but I know Raif Badawi is doing very, very well. He has not been harmed in any shape or form yet. The Saudi government is afraid. The political pressure that they are under from the monstrosity of this case is actually affecting them. Excellent. The more noise, yes, the more noise that is being generated, the louder we are, the more chances of him actually getting out unharmed. Radio. So let's keep this really quick. How can we help? Yep. Sign any petition you see. I'll try to get in touch with his wife and see if there's anything uh, new and I'll forward it to you. Mm -hmm. And if they need any help financially, I'll let you know as well. Very well. Any petitions, guys, please go out there and sign away because what we're doing is not just saving somebody from an unjustified punishment. We're setting a precedent. The hashtag I stand with Raif mm -hmm. or the hashtag Raif Badawi mm -hmm. are frequently monitored by the Saudis. So use those. Fantastic. Okay? All right. Iman, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.